I love our two worship services, but it sure is nice we, when we can all be together on certain occasions. Welcome. Good to see all of you here for this uh, hour of worship, and we've got some guests with us. It's always great to have people visiting with us. We hope that those of you that are visiting will find your way out to our uh, Family Life Center after this service and um, join us in our traditional Thanksgiving meal that we have grown accustomed to in recent years. Uh, wonderful time of fellowship, too, there out in the Family Life Center, so we hope you will be here for that. A few announcements aimed at our children. Join us tonight, children, from 5.30 to 7 for choir, mission kids, and Bible study. Children, we, we ask you to remember to meet Ms. Jessica in the sanctuary tonight for choir instead of over in the social hall. Miss Katie will be in the regular Sunday night classroom. Please take a few minutes to view and complete our family life and volunteer request survey on the church's website, greerchurch.com. Hard copies of the survey are available in all the adult Sunday school classrooms. We need uh, your help as we wrap up 2011 and look ahead to 2012. We're excited to hear your feedback. The survey will run for the remainder of the month of November. Today, I think at several locations, the youth uh, will be uh, letting you order sweatshirts and hoodies uh, with the United Methodist logo on it. This is part of their fundraising for their annual mission trip. Um, be on the lookout. I believe Stephen Connett is going to be uh, available to help take your orders. Today is the last day to order poinsettias to be placed in the church on December the 11th and 18th. The poinsettias are $8 each, and we remind you of that. Let's see a couple of more. Today is not only a day of um, enjoying our own fellowship and food together, it is a day for remembering those less fortunate than we are. Um, after the luncheon today, there are two activities that you can participate in. One of them is the Merle State Walk for uh, the, the soup kitchen, as we call it, to, to help that wonderful ministry to the poor of our community to raise funds so that we can continue feeding those 150 to 200 people each day who come down there to uh, the Daily Bread Ministry for uh, their daily meals. So please remember that. Also, there is a, a bunch from um, the Foundation Sunday School class that will be meeting at 1 o'clock today to start taking out their Thanksgiving baskets to the needy of the community, uh, package of food, including a turkey. If you would like to help in delivering those packages, we invite you to be here today at 1 o'clock, and they will have directions to help you out. Um, Choir and handbell folks, no practices Wednesday night due to the holidays. We remember today that it's been three years since Smiley's, Smiley Howell's passing and we uh, celebrate his life again by the flowers on our altar today. At the conclusion of the service today, um, the ushers will be passing out to you your commitment cards for the coming year. We're going to do this year as we have done in, in previous years to end our service without a hymn. 
but rather to let you sit there in, in your place of worship to consider the call of Jesus upon your life and how you might want to respond to that in financial commitment to your church for next year. The pledge cards then will be brought here and, and placed uh, here at the Lord's table as an act of dedication uh, as we are in silence rather than singing and then you will be free to walk on out to the Family Life Center and get in the food line that moves real fast. So we hope that we will, uh, that that's clear for you, your message. Finally, uh, let me get around to this point and introduce, this is so silly to be introducing Susan to you folks who kept her in the nursery, but I'll do so anyway. Uh, Susan Leonard Ray, what was it that Bill Clute called her last week? Um, Sugar Ray Leonard, I think, but uh, Susan Leonard Ray, uh, child of this church who is in the ministry now, and she has um, blessed so many congregations where she has served, and she has recently, in the last two years, been given added responsibility as she is the district superintendent now over in the Anderson district in charge of 50, 60, 70, bunch of churches uh, that she has to watch over, but even worse, that many preachers. That's, a, that's the hard part. Our district superintendent at Charles Conference said that people are always asking him, where did you find that preacher that you sent to us? And he says, I always tell them, they come from you. You birth them, you raise them, you help them sense God's call, and you educate them, and that's where the preachers come from, from you. One of the wonderful things about Memorial is that there are a number of pastors who have uh, been nurtured here and have gone from here to serve churches, and Susan certainly is uh, one of the best examples of this. And I was so very pleased that we could work out getting her here for this Commitment Sunday in the midst of her very busy schedule in Anderson. Charged conferences are in full swing or winding down, I guess, about now. But I contacted Susan during the summer and she said, good timing, I'll block out that Sunday and be back at my home church. So it's quite an honor to have you here with us today. And, and um, those of you that uh, helped raise her, good job. And I especially remember, as I've heard her talk, that uh, very key influences upon her life was this guy named George Strait, some of you have heard. I don't mean the singer. Uh, and George's wife, Sue, were, were uh, so very instrumental in, in that generation of raising young people. And we, we celebrate that wonderful influence and the continuing influence of this church in the life of people that it raised. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered in Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and assumed the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. This time we invite our children to come forward to join Robbie Septon for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Everybody know what Thursday is? What happens this Thursday? Thanksgiving, that's right. And we have lots to be thankful for, don't we? We get to be, we're thankful for our church family and for our family and our homes and for our schools and for food. Does anybody do anything special for Thanksgiving? What do you do? Your whole family over. What do you do? A lot of friends, friends and family. You probably just have just a small little meal, maybe pizza or something. No? no? What do you have on Thanksgiving? Turkey. turkey. I get so excited about turkey. <laughs> Me and my brother-in-law, Kevin, over there, we talk about it in like September. And I told Miss Lauren the other day, I said, I'm so excited about turkey that I'm going to wear a turkey on my head every day till Thanksgiving. She thought I was pretty silly. Till I came home with this. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so we take our Thanksgiving pretty serious, don't we? Well... All the meals and all the plans and the football games, we, we don't take the time to really stop and think of what we're thankful for. But should we be thankful for just one day a year, just on Thanksgiving? No. That's right. We should be thankful every day. And every day should be Thanksgiving. And I already tried with Miss Lauren. I said, does that mean I get to eat turkey every day? And that didn't work. But we can remember to, to give thanks to the Lord, as Psalms 105 says. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And let's close in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many ways you've blessed us. The things you've given us, the times you've protected us, and the ways you've guided us. And we thank you especially for your son Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.
where did you find that? <laughs> this being hunting season, I'd be a little careful where I wear it. Our responsive reading is Psalm 100 on page 821 in the back of your hymnal. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share this passage of scripture together responsibly. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence to sing. Know that the Lord who made us is God. We are the Lord's. We are the people of God, the sheep of God's pasture. Enter God's gates with thanksgiving and God's courts with praise. Give thanks and bless God's name. For the Lord is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. God's faithfulness to all generations. Our epistle lesson is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he, had made, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are thankful every day that we live, but especially in these days we give you thanks. We give you thanks because your goodness toward us is so constant. We find ourselves facing many enemies in life. Even death itself comes against us. But it is wonderful to know that you are decidedly on our side. That whatever comes along to us in life, you are there with us to pick up the battle with us, to help us fight our way through illnesses and difficult times. And it is wonderful to know that we're not alone in life, but that we have our Father with us who because of your love for us undertakes the difficulties of life with us and for us. And we're especially thankful as we face that final enemy in life, even death itself. There we are assured of victory because Jesus showed us that he was the resurrection and he was victorious and is victorious even over death. It is wonderful, Lord, to give you thanks. And we do thank you for the temporal blessings that we have, but even more important than those, when all those things leave us or are taken away, no one can deprive us of your love. No one can take away your grace. No one can take away from us your acceptance, your pardon, your forgiveness, and the gift of eternal life. Lord, we know that you bless people so that they might become blessings of others. And as we count our blessings this day, both spiritually and materially, cause us to be reminded and to hear you say that we have been blessed to be blessings of others. Use us, Lord, for those less fortunate than we are, for those who are suffering in our world this day, and especially for those who find it difficult to believe that they even matter in this life, that there is a God who cares about them. Use us in those lives in various ways that they might know your embrace and your forgiveness and your gift of eternal life. We pray that you would lead us all this day as we hear the call of Jesus upon our lives. We pray that you would help us to think of concrete, methodical ways that we could serve you as John Wesley did. Help us to become methodical in our good gifts and our deeds of kindness to others. And help us to become those who find a method for regular giving to your kingdom. That we might be assured that we do what we intend to do 
to advance the kingdom of God upon this earth. We pray your special blessings this day upon Susan and her family as she comes to break the bread of life for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now continue our time of worship as we worship God by giving.
be seated. I am always grateful for every opportunity to return to Memorial United Methodist Church because it gives me the chance to say thank you again. I don't know how many of you are Miranda Lambert fans, singer-songwriter, but in recent years she's written a wonderful song called The House That Built Me. Now second only to the house of my childhood, second only to the home that my parents created for me and my sister Amy, second to that home, this is the house that built me the place that helped me um, make sense of life, looking through the lens of faith, of the, the place that helped me learn scripture's stories that would be foundational for the rest of my life, the, the place that helped me know who I was and who God was calling me to be. So it is always a, a joy whenever I have the opportunity to come back to say thank you to the people and the place, the house, that helped build me. As we look at scripture today and gather our lives around it, I want to offer to us uh, among the first red words in the Gospel of John. Now those of you who have Bibles who have red letter editions, you'll know that these are the words of Jesus. And when you look at Mark's Gospel, you'll find that these are the first words that Jesus speaks as he begins his public ministry. So if you will give ear now to the reading of the gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. His turnaround time was short in the San Juan airport in Puerto Rico as he was making his way back into the States. He had been away for two weeks and was anxious to reconnect with all that he had missed. So there in the airport, he quickly grabbed a USA Today and a cup of coffee and hungrily began to take in the news. As he sat there, a commotion of sorts erupted in the gate area, and he peered down over his newspaper. There, there were two young boys there, brothers most likely, one probably about seven or eight, the other five. They were in a bit of a squabble. And Bill said he sort of canvassed the gate area, seeing if there were any parents to intervene. He watched them a little bit longer and then returned to the news. His, they will be calling his flight soon, and so he, he returned to drink his coffee and read the news. And then, whack! He looked up and, 
And, and apparently, the older brother had placed his hand squarely on his younger brother's face. Tears had already begun to form in the little guy, and a nasty welt was developing on his face. And then almost on the heels of that, before anybody could even respond, came the sound that those in that gate area won't soon forget. It was the sound of a closed fist hitting a face. While the little guy was still crying, the older brother had punched him squarely in the face, literally knocking him off of his feet. Bill said he instinctively just stood up, put his coffee down, stood up, and went to the boys. He was the first to get to them, no, no parents in sight. And though he could hear them call, final boarding call for flight 5150 to LaGuardia, the mission he was on was too important to abandon. He, he got the older boy off the younger and tried to separate them, comforting one holding the other to calm him. He said there was a moment as he had these two boys at arm's length, one with violence in his eyes and the other with tears. He said he knew that he was touching just a small part, a small part of human brokenness. Final boarding call for flight 5150 to LaGuardia and reluctantly, Bill said he passed the boys off to other bystanders who helped to calm and helped to soothe, and he boarded his plane home. Well, he couldn't quite shake what he had just experienced there in the, in the airport, so he decided he'd read a sports magazine. That usually works. Thought he'd get lost in a story, but, but that was to no avail. So because it was a, a, a lengthy flight, they were showing a movie, so he put on the headset hoping he might get lost in a movie. But that really didn't work either. Wonder what that boy's life is like, he thought. I mean, where were his parents? What's school like for him? Is there anybody in his world offering him love and care and guidance? If he's throwing fists at eight, what will he be throwing at 18? What's ahead for this little guy? A satisfying job? A meaningful marriage? Prison? An early grave? And then he said he began to think about what might have the power to change the trajectory of this young boy's life. Perhaps with the elections. Now, if we can get a new person in office who can enact new laws, then maybe that will help a child like this. But laws, even good ones, do not have the power to transform the human heart. They do not have the power to mend a broken spirit. They do not have the power to bring about repentance or forgiveness or peace. Laws, even good ones, do not have the power to do that. While the business community can create jobs, 
while the medical community can offer medicine, while the education community can nurture learning, while the sports community can offer self-discipline, while the psychology community can offer insight and self-reflection, as good as all of these are, do any of them have the power to transform a human heart? The only power strong enough, the power most able to touch and transform a life is the power of the love of God. That's a power strong enough to transform a heart, to mend a broken spirit, to bring about forgiveness and repentance and peace. Jesus knows that, that the power most able to touch and transform a life and a world is the power of the love of God. And so everywhere Jesus goes as he begins his public ministry throughout the, the day that he is executed, Jesus invites people to come along on the journey with words like we just heard today. He moves through the pages of scripture along the Sea of Galilee beside the streets of Palestine and he says, come, follow me. Repent, which is a word that means turn around. The, the track that you're on leads to a cul-de-sac, to a dead end. It will not get you to the life that you want. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is this way, come follow me. And today we have the first story of the people who were invited to follow and did. You see, to hear Jesus talk about it, he was always invitational about this way of life, this God-honoring way of life. He was never manipulative, he was never coercive, he never tried to scare people into following God. He was always invitational. Come, follow me to the life that really is life, to the kingdom way, which is the way God willed the world to be in the first place. Come, follow me. He invited them to come because there were some essential things that they needed to know about God. Jesus invited them first because he needed them to know, wanted them to know how loved they were. We don't always stop to think about this, but Jesus wanted them to know or remember the very first words God ever said about them. In the early documents of the Bible, the very first words God ever said about them, about human beings, this is very good. The sun, the moon, the sky, this is good. The seas, the land, the water, this is good. The birds, the fish, the animals, this is good. But God's crowning work, where God's spirit was embedded in God's creation, this, God said, is very good. These are the very first words God ever said about you. You are very good. And in a world where we are asked to produce, to prove, to earn, Jesus is the starting point. Is this, 
You are loved with an everlasting love. God's spirit is in you. The very first word God ever said about your life is you are very good. I think of a friend of mine who grew up in a church that had this same stained glass window. As he describes it, I could see in my mind's eye this window. So when I walked in the door today, I took another look. The, the window that sits over us every time we're in this place. He said he remembers being a little boy. And the sermon that day was about God being the good shepherd, that Jesus being the tender of the flock. And Jesus knew each sheep by name. And Don Selliers said he looked up at his mom and he said, those sheep have a name? The one in Jesus' arms, what's his name? And his mother wisely said, his name is Don. That sheep has your name. The very first words God ever said about you is this is very good. You are very good. He wants them to know because if they can know that they are loved, they can do amazing things. When we know that we are loved, we can act with boldness and creativity and passion when we know that we are loved. Jesus says, come follow me, because he wants them first of all to know the very first words God ever said about them were words of love. He says, come follow me, because secondly, he wants them to know what God will do in the face of their brokenness and sin, because God knows, God knows that we are less than perfect. We are all of us a mixture of saint and sinner, and he wants them to know what God will do in the face of their brokenness. In that early document of our faith, Genesis, our forebearers, Adam and Eve, when they had done those things counter to God's will, when they had eaten of the tree that was forbidden them, what did they do? You remember? What they did was hide. Sin has a way of separating us. Shame has a way of separating us. Guilt has a way of separating us. And God wanted them to do, Jesus wanted them to know the, the way God responds in the midst of brokenness and sin. That there are always consequences for our choices, always. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He, he comes in search of them. And as God walks through the garden, says Genesis 3, he does not come with a thundering voice saying, how dare you? God comes with a voice that says, where are you? This is a God who loves us. And this is a God who acts merciful towards us. Not the God of how dare you. The God of where are you? The third thing Jesus wants his disciples to know when he says, come follow me, is to not only know that they're loved, to not only know that God is a God of mercy, but he wants them to know that God is at work always in all things to redeem. Now, God does not cause all things. I do not believe that God causes all things. 
but I do believe that God works in all things. God's ways are redemptive. God will work in all things to bring a measure of good out of them. Jesus wants his disciples to know that with God there is a power to redeem so that the worst is never the last. They do not know it yet, but they will see it lived out in large measure the day that Jesus is executed. On that Friday, human beings will do the very worst that we could to another human being, to the Son of God. It will be the worst day for Jesus. But even on that Friday, we Christians claim it good because even in the worst, God has redemptive power to redeem and make good on a worst. Jesus wants his disciples to know not only that, they're, that God's ways are loving ways, that God's ways are merciful ways, forgiving ways, that God's ways are redeeming ways. Jesus invites them to follow because he wants them to know that once they've been loved and forgiven and healed and redeemed, they might go into the world and offer the world the same thing. This is not for them alone, it's for the sake of the world. He will invite them not just to follow, you know, but he will eventually invite them to follow so that they can help fish for people, so that they too can be part of the redemptive work in the world. This is the way of God. And Jesus says, come follow me to the life that really is life, to a God of love and mercy and redemption who wants to use you and your life to make a difference in this world. Come follow me. You see, Jesus was very clear about his mission. He, he knew that his life had a purpose and a mission. He was very clear about that. And he says it most clearly, I think, in John 10, 10. Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. That, that's his self-proclaimed, self-defined mission statement. I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, unfortunately, Jesus will know that there, that there will be, over time, people who try to collapse Christian faith down into a set of beliefs that if you believe these beliefs, then you will get to go to heaven when you die. But for Jesus, this way of life was much broader, much deeper, much more full. You see, Jesus didn't come with an evacuation plan to get us out of this life. Jesus came with an invitation to live life fully in this life and hereafter. Come follow me. The kingdom of God is this way. We, we prayed about it just a few moments ago. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. I've come so that you might have life, Jesus says. I think what gives that self-definition its power is, is how sharp the focus is, how intentional Jesus acts. I have come, this is why, so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Earlier this year, it got me to thinking about all the ways those two little words, so that, show up in Scripture. They're at the heart of so many of our favorite passages because they add laser focus. Think with 
me about some of these favorite scripture verses that we know. At, in Matthew 5, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concludes the sermon with this. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Why are we letting the light shine? So that others may see our good works and give glory to God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Why? So that you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and faithful and perfect. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Why? So that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 John 4, 9, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world. We might live through him. Why did God send the son? So that we might live through him. And finally, you all know this one. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that. Do, do you hear the focus of that? Do you hear the power of that? For more than a hundred years, Memorial United Methodist Church has occupied a place on the landscape of this community. And I do not believe that this church was placed here because, because somebody gave the land. Because they didn't like the people who were worshiping down the road, they wanted a church of their own. Because, I don't, I don't think that Memorial United Methodist Church or Greer's Memorial Methodist came to be because. In my heart, I believe this church came to be so that so that the people in this community might know that they are loved, so that the people in this community might know what God does in the face of our brokenness and sin, so that people might know that God's ways are always redemptive. God is always at work for good, not causing all things, but using and working in all things. Memorial United Methodist Church is here so that Knowing that we are loved and forgiven and redeemed ourselves, we can be about the work of loving and forgiving and redeeming in the world. So that. Now, when I was growing up in this place, if, if we were having a conversation about faith and somebody said nuns, I would have immediately thought about the religious order of women and habits walking with prayerful comfort through the halls of St. Francis Hospital. If you had said nuns to me, in an earlier time, I would have thought of the religious order of nuns. But here's the truth about the day and age in which we live. Nuns are now N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. They are the highest growing segment of religious faith in this nation. The nuns. Those who have no faith preference. 
In a conversation today, when you hear the word nuns, they are not talking about women in habits. They are talking about the, the largest growing segment of the population in the United States who identify their faith as none. And the nuns are second only in, in size only to the Roman Catholic Church. Your work here is vital. Your ministry in this place matters. This is the day in which we live. This is the season in which we've been given. This is the time that we have influence. Now I know today is Commitment Sunday, a day annually when you as a church are asked to think about the commitments you will make to the life of this church through your financial giving. But I want to remind you that at least from my perspective, you are not, you are not underwriting a budget. That is not what this day is about. This is not about underwriting a budget. This is about making an investment in the gospel. This is about the work of God in the world. I believe that the church, the local church, is God's best plan to continue offering hope and redemption to the world. It is the God-ordained agency of transformation on which the future of the world hangs. God is on a mission, and God's mission is this. God's mission is to redeem and restore the whole wonderful, wounded world. That's God's mission. Jesus is part of the mission of redemption. But when Jesus left this earth, he empowered a people, a body, who would continue the mission of love and mercy and forgiveness and redemption and hope. It has hands and feet and voices. What we're doing today is investing in the mission. Come follow me, Jesus says, to the life that really is life. It was always a choice. He was never coercive. He was never manipulative. He was always invitational. And today the invitation is yours. Amen. I'll need the assistance of our ushers at this point, and we will be passing these cards out to you. We ask you to remain there in a prayerful uh, attitude and atmosphere as you make some decisions about uh, your commitments to this church for the coming year. And then when you're finished, we invite you to join us for dinner in the Family Life Center. Let us be in prayer.